This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's a Sharp Tongue Podcast with your girl, Jessie Mae. I'm sitting at my table and I'm eating some pizza. That's pizza. Mmm. <laughs> I'm eating a whole pizza to myself. Because I can, bitch. It's been a long week already and it's only Monday. Well, technically Tuesday for you guys. Pizza is so good. Carlin is literally licking his chops right next to me. Let me take a sip of this red wine. Real Guinea dinner tonight. Ah, welcome to a Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. It's been a busy Monday. I was working all day writing on this new show that shall remain unnamed because I had to sign an NDA agreement that I wouldn't talk about it. So here I am not talking about it. I'm the only way. You can get me to not talk about things is to feed me. And as I'm proving right now, that's even a hard thing to shut me up with. If you can't shut me up with food, good luck. <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm chewing in your ear. How rude of me. I would love to offer you a piece, but we haven't figured that out as human beings yet. We really should figure out if we can make it to the moon. Why can't I feed my listeners pizza? Especially because you guys are so fucking amazing. The Sharp Tongue Patreon page is yet to be built, but it will be built. In the meantime, please subscribe. Rate and review this rate, <laughs> rate and review this podcast. Share it with your friends, your family, your creepy Uncle John that always stares at you too long at the family reunion. Share it with your Co-workers, the ones you like, the ones you don't like, because you know I'll call them out and they're bullshit. But no, seriously, that was Carlin whining. I don't know if you could hear it, but he was whining because there's pizza near his face and he's not getting any. What a poor baby. Um, but seriously, I really do appreciate you guys. Support means a lot. This podcast has been going on. I think this is 125th episode. I call that pretty successful. Our numbers are growing. That must mean you guys are sharing. I thought I was going to burp, but uh. yep, I was. <laughs> just scared Chaplin. Chaplin just went running across the carpet. Carlin, go. Go. Get out of here. This is my pizza dinner. God, can't a girl just have a pizza dinner in peace? Son of a bitch. When you have three dogs, they really learn how to get up in your shit. Go lay down. It's really... I don't know if you guys could hear that whine. <laughs> It's really important. If you have dogs, listen to me. I have three, and I've had about seven in my lifetime that I've personally trained. Create boundaries in your house, just like with people. No one deserves 100% access to all of your business. No one. The only person who deserves 100% access to you is you. Not your dog, not your boyfriend, not your brother, your mother, your best friend, your spirit animal, your CPA, your, you know... THC partner, like nobody does. A little bit of space goes a long way, folks. Um, this episode I'm very excited about. I want to talk with you guys all fucking night, but this episode is rather indulgent on my end. It is another Swapcast, which if you are new to the Swapcast game, that was coined by Mr. Doug Stanhope himself. When you go on a podcast and it's such a great episode, why not share it on your podcast? It makes it fun for everybody. You guys meet somebody new, and uh, hopefully we can have some fans go both ways. You know, some bisexual fans. 
by by podcastual. <laughs> it's not even a fucking word. Uh, this this uh, podcast I went on it was so much fun. It's a new podcast, newer podcast, I should say, called Bad Science, and I just had a freaking blast. Um, uh, the episode was a special one because we got to talk about bugs. Now, this is something you guys might not know about me, might not know about me. I'm Southern, apparently. Yeah, apparently I'm a Southern belle. Y'all didn't know it, did you? But I mean, here I am, right in your ear, letting you know I am a lady of the South. Uh, No, this podcast was just amazing because we got to talk to the guy who's basically the curator of bugs and the head of entomology at the Museum of Natural History in L.A., Dr. Brian Brown, who just knew everything about bugs. Like, ladies, if you're into entomologists, this is your guy. And the podcast is hosted by the lovely Ethan Edenberg. Uh, Just delightful. And I think I might have been one of the first guests. If I'm not mistaken, it was uh, just right up my alley. You guys might not know that about me, that I love nerdy stuff. I love facts. I love bugs, even though a lot of them are fucking terrifying. And at one time when I was like, I was in the... Bahamas, and I went to pick up this centipede that literally looked like a blunt that Snoop Dogg had rolled if it were going to be the last blunt he smoked, meaning it was enormous (laughs) and hairy (laughs) and had like spikes coming off of it. And I went to pick it up, and these local women were just like, No, 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 don't touch that. Unless you want to die, don't touch that. So apparently, it was like some poisonous bug that I'm like, This is cool, I want to touch it. But Bad Science, the podcast, is it, it focuses on like the, the scientific accuracy of a film. So they bring in a film. We, we spoke about Alien and the parasitic aspect of that creature and how it correlates to actual truth with insects in real life, if there was any validity to the way that that film was written and portrayed. Um, so on this podcast, they feature a film and they give insight with a real-life expert who breaks down the science of the movies. And um, they basically ask good questions about bad science. So that's why we went into the movie Alien. They were nice enough to ask me what movie I wanted to talk about. And Alien is such a classic film. You guys know that I love scary movies and horror movies and science fiction and all that. Alien's right up there with maybe one of the greatest science fiction films in our generation, arguably. And, it, you know, basically the alien is a parasite. And so that's why we had Dr. Brian Brown on Bad Science to talk about the science behind that and what kind of bugs do we have to worry about actually being parasitic in our lives. And the truth is the worst parasite of them all is all of your exes. <laughs> all of my exes were such fucking parasites. I'm so glad that I'm over that part of my life. <laughs> I'd no longer be the host to your parasitic ways. That sounds like a Alanis Morissette lyric from the 90s. But I really, really had fun on this episode, um, on this on this podcast called Bad Science. Please subscribe to it, it especially if you enjoy information and movies and science. It blends all of those wonderful things together. And Dr. Brian Brown was the greatest type of nerd I've ever met. So shout out to Dr. Brian Brown. He actually offered to give Ethan and I a personal tour of the Bug Fest at the Natural History Museum of L.A. And it's only through May. So May is the end of May is creeping up on us. I'm going to scream at Ethan if we don't get in there before Bug Fest is over. If it's anything like Lobster Fest, uh, I don't know if I can handle eating some bugs. But if, if I have to do it, I will take one for the team. God damn it. Especially if I'm going to save us from this alien ship. <laughs> All right, I'm crossing all my information. It's late. Uh, You guys need to listen to this podcast, and please don't forget to rate and review. It means the world. You guys are dope. Keep living your truths. Enjoy this episode of Sharp Tongue Podcast, special swap cast with bad science. Science? Did I just say science? I need some more wine.
Final report of the commercial podcast, Bad Science, first host reporting. The other members of the crew, Tom, Sachin, Lambert, Brent, Brett, Lambert, and Captain Dallas are dead. Mics and studio equipment destroyed. I should reach the taco truck outside in about 20 minutes. With a little luck, they will still have green sauce. This is Ethan, last survivor of the Alien podcast episode. Signing off. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I am your humble host, Ethan Edinburgh. Today we are talking about Alien, the 1979 smash horror sci-fi film. Uh, And we have two wonderful guests that I'm very, very excited to introduce. First, of course, we have Jessamay Peluso. She's a stand-up comedian and host of the Hilarious Podcast and the Sharp Tongue Podcast. And Huffington Post says she is one of the funniest comics to follow on Twitter, which you can do so at Jessamay Peluso. Hi, Jessamay. Hi. How's it going? It's great. It's actually at Queefy May for now. Oh, for now. <laughs> if we're going to be on a science podcast, yeah. details are important. You're right. You're it's right. Queefy May for the get... time being. Okay. But you can also find it from Jesse May as well. <laughs> Is it the same account or are there double yeah. accounts? You can change your name once in a while, so I just go with the oh, vibe. I didn't know that. Yeah, so if I feel like Queen Queefy May, Queefy May. that's what it's going to be. Okay, great. See, yeah. we're learning stuff already. Yeah, this maybe is... you can do one about Queefs next episode or something. Let's just change this one to all about Queefs. Okay, great. Why not? Prepared? <laughs> um, okay, also we have Dr. Brian Brown. He is the head of entomology at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles and the curator of entomology. Um, so before getting into that, we do a little game here right off the top where I would love for Jessamay to guess what exactly that means. What does his job entail? I think it's time to guess what the guest does. He's basically like the fat Jewish of the uh, Natural History Museum where he just collects all the dope bugs mm-hmm. and presents them and provides the information because he's probably also, he knows all about every single little species of bug. So okay. I'm assuming he just is like, here's a dung beetle. This is what a dung beetle does. This is where we got this dung beetle. And don't even talk any trash about this dung beetle because it's a very sensitive climate out there. <laughs> That's right. Okay. I don't mean, fat shame the dung beetle. Is that does that sound accurate? Well, first of all, she used fat twice in I that did. description. <laughs> I did. And I'm she just, is sitting next to you, so I'm it is a, offensive. A slight panic because TMZ followed me yesterday and I called <laughs> DJ Khaled fat, so I'm just assuming it's gonna pop up somewhere. So I'm jumping the gun. <laughs> yeah. Just coming out as I'm the person that calls people out for being overweight. That's me now. I'm owning it. Yeah. But okay. yeah, I think you 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 put place all the bugs and you, you know, set it up. I'm in charge of the entomology collection, which is about 6 million specimens. It's one of the biggest in North wow. America. And uh, I'm in charge of going out in the field and doing research in the tropics, looking for new species, trying to figure out how they're related to each other. That kind of uh, That's research. That's fascinating. Yeah. That is so cool. It gets so much deeper than that. He's really being modest. Of course, he's Canadian. Yeah. He's a <laughs> because he's Canadian. Canadian modest man. Uh, <laughs> the modern modest Canadian man. <laughs> I um, I have so much to ask you about, Dr. Brian Brown. And uh, you told me to call you Brian. So I, I will call you Brian. Yep. Although I must say, and you probably get it all the time and have been getting it since the 80s, there is a, a desire to call you Doc Brown and or Lord of the Flies. Do you get that a lot? <laughs> That's okay. Not a whole lot, but oh, okay. just impress. Just impress. Yeah. Other scientists don't mess with you. No. Okay. Well, Doc that's Brown, good. that's not on my radar at all, I'm afraid. Oh, I love wow. Lord of the Flies. Okay. Yeah. That's well, dope. I mean, maybe, you know, consider changing in the, in the future. There's a merch opportunity there, Brian. Just We're saying. doing okay. Okay, cool. Got it. They B- have Big business. <laughs> you don't want to spend time uh, advertising. Um, okay, so I was going to initially ask you how you got into all of this because it is such a strange, interesting field. And then I read somewhere that you started an insect zoo in Toronto when you were five. Right. I started in entomology as a child like a lot of people, and I just never really grew out of it. I'm sure. I spent some time playing in a heavy metal band when I was a teenager and discovered girls and so on. And, you know, 
being an entomologist is not conducive to meeting girls and playing in a heavy metal band, I'm afraid. <laughs> I beg to differ. I think it's <laughs> yeah, pretty hot. That sounds cool. <laughs> well, it wasn't back in the 1970s uh, gotcha. when I was growing up. So <laughs> The hair. It's probably the hair. <laughs> yeah. I can show you a picture of the hair. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I saw one before we started recording. I'm not going to lie to you about that. So then I got back into it in, as a university student and uh, really started making my way into entomology. And it's mm. an endless field. So how could you not like to work on bugs? Um, I can think of many, many reasons. but I can too. Yeah, yeah. Specifically to you, was there something that, you know, a life event or a, a film or, you know, something that triggered like, oh, I, I love, this is going to be my life's work. I'm going to spend my time doing this. Or a bite. Actually, yeah, it was a get bitten and loved it. bite. <laughs> Actually, it was a great mentor, a guy named Dr. Steve Marshall, okay. who started teaching me about entomology in college. And actually, this year at the International Congress of Entomology in uh, Namibia, mm. I get to give him an award. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. The greatest living North American dipterist, somebody who studies flies. That's so oh, cool. That what was, was that? really nice. What was that word? Dip- dipterist. Dipterist. Diplo. So diptera are flies, <laughs> two-winged insects. Great. The diplo of flies. I'm sure it's, it's very appropriate for you to be giving him an award because it, it – feels like you're the the Michael Jordan of this field. It says that you've discovered and described 500 new species of forids. Is that correct? Well, more than that now, but yeah, a lot of undescribed species are out there. We have to describe them to make them available so we can say something about them. Refer it, to wow. them so there's how many species in total? Known. Yes, known. Of all animals? No, of uh, of these forids. About 4,000. What's a forid? That's another great question. Let's get into that. I mean, it <laughs> You're talking like to the guy who's Norway. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's discovered one-eighth of them. So <laughs> what's the yeah, what's the specification there? Well, first of all, let's start with diptera or true flies. Ooh. They're a type of insect that has two wings. Most insects have four wings, right? Think of a butterfly like a monarch butterfly. It has front wings and hind wings. Mm. In the diptera, the hind wings are reduced to these tiny little knobs. We call them halters. And they use them for flight. So some sadistic entomologists went out there and cut off the halters on flies and saw that they couldn't orient themselves when they're flying very well. So that's what they use those hind wings for. Okay. But we use them for classification. For so forids mean two wings? No. Diptera means two wings. Diptera wing means two wings. Okay. And within the diptera, there's about 160 families of, of flies. Oh, my God. So a family is something like... The Kardashians. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you think about the mammals, the canidae or the dogs are one family, and the felidae or the cats are another family. Mm. So we have those sorts of family-level distinctions in the flies, too. There's about 160 of them. Whoa. And then there's about 160,000 described species of flies in the world. Oh, man. So oh. <laughs> if we compare that to mammals, there's about four or 5,000 described species of mammals. Right. But when we've, you know, when we've explored the whole world and when we've worked on the totality of what's out there, probably insects or flies will be 10 times what that is now. Whoa. So we think there's probably one two or three million species of flies really out there. We just haven't discovered them yet. That's insanity. Yeah. So how do you, and guys, we're going to get into the movie, I promise, eventually. <laughs> I it's so a many questions. fantastic film, Sigourney Weaver. But <laughs> this is really fascinating to me, so I don't want to leave this just yet. Um, when you're discovering these species, how does that work out? Because it, it says that you've traveled all over the place, New Zealand, Argentina. So you're, are you just going around and hoping to find new undiscovered species? Well, we know that there's lots of undiscovered biodiversity in tropical rainforests, for sure. Okay. So we go to places like South America, because you know, tropical rainforests, we know that there's lots of diversity. We have lots of tricks to try and find these flies. I mean, imagine trying to find a one or two millimeter long fly in the tropical rainforest. It's like the smallest needle in the biggest haystack you can imagine. Yeah, We'd give <laughs> so, up immediately. Right. So we have things like traps that generally collect insects, but we also observe potential hosts, things like ants that my flies parasitize. Ooh. Ooh. Now we're getting into it. A little foreshadow right. there, huh? Yeah, definitely. Hello, Strong. that's a good word, too. Parasitize? <laughs> parasitize. I want to refer to all my exes as that. Yeah. <laughs> Parasitizers. <laughs> and you'd be correct as opposed to yeah. parasitoids. Oh. <laughs> so What's wait. a parasitoid? Yeah. Is it okay. the receiver? There's different types of animals that 
use other animals to make their living. So predators are animals that feed on more than one host, which we call the animal on the receiving end of the predation is a host. Oof. Right. Okay, so predators. So that's you. That's me. Yeah, with your. That's me in the wild with bears. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. So the hosts, the number of hosts that get eaten um, defines whether or not we have a predator or a parasitoid. A parasitoid feeds on one host and kills it. A true parasite feeds on the host, but it doesn't kill it. Ooh. So many, many diseases are parasites. Right. They but, just live in you. Right. But their goal, if we could put it that way, is not to kill the host because that's wasteful and you right. can't produce more and more generations that right. way. And when you're like, can I ask him a question? I, all the time. I, I, this is like, I, I'm a nerd for this stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. When you're like gathering and doing research in the Amazon, is it, I imagine in my mind, it's like that scene, the opening scene from Arachnophobia. Do you remember that where they're all like, they got the hats and the, and the nets and there's just like these giant vats on the bottom of the ocean and, or the bottom of the, the bed of the, the rainforest. Then you put this foggy smoke and they all drop or is it not that cinematic? <laughs> That's one way to do collecting, canopy fogging. It's like fogging. hairspray and they all fall from the, from the trees and the leaves. Yeah, you don't get giant, huge things plopping down like that. Oh, God, thank, mm. Lord, thank but, the Lord. I mean, it would be cool, but... Yeah, we don't collect like that. We collect more um, discrimination. How should I say it? We're more discriminative. That's mm. the wrong word, too. You can dumb it down for us. <laughs> like you're, you're, We're you're more targeted selected. in our collecting. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So... We put out traps that look like tents that insects fly into and get caught in, and that collects a lot of material. I mean, the collecting part is not the limiting factor when we're talking about discovering new species. The limiting factor is getting the stuff back to the lab and getting people to sort them out and prepare them and put labels on them. So we've got two freezers full of material back in the lab that we have volunteers and staff working on. Material, wow. you mean bugs, like yeah. literally bugs. bags or jars full of bugs. My material is just notes like Bev, Bev naps, <laughs> just beverage napkins with <laughs> shitty jokes on them. Because yeah. they're like these amazing bugs that nobody even have, has discovered yet. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So looking through that material takes a lot of time and you have to do it under a microscope because a lot of the things are small. Oh, In fact, I just recently described the world's smallest fly. Whoa. And Congratulations. Was, Kevin Hart. Thanks. That's big. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Actually, I named it after a celebrity, too. You did? Oh. I did. But you're not going to guess who. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Come on. Muggsy Bulgs. That's a good one. Charlotte Hornets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Whoa. right. That's right. Is that your guess? Uh, no. That was just a fun tidbit. You have to know a little bit more about this fly. It's Ooh, okay. How okay. small do you think this world's smallest fly is in millimeters? One. I mean, Lots of things are one millimeter. I know. I mean, I went to high school Wait. and like that was it. Lots of things? Are, what's one millimeter? In terms of inches? I don't, I don't know. You just said one lots of things. One millimeter is like... Oh, so it's even smaller. Super okay. small. An eighth um, of a millimeter. It's 0.43 millimeters. Wow, 0.43. What can you equate that to? My ex's dick. (laughs) (laughs) And also, how does that help us choose the celebrity? Because it's so small. It doesn't help us choose the the celebrity. Actually, it was point. What was it? 0.39. Sorry, 0.39 millimeters. A little bit smaller there. George Burns. Nope. Hmm. So this fly had tiny little. What we call rudimentary, non-functional middle and hind legs, but huge front legs, just oh, massive really? front legs. Okay. Okay. I feel like we're getting some physical attributes here that could help uh-huh. us. Yeah, yeah. You guys couldn't. You guys couldn't see, but Brian was doing like a world's strongest man pose as he was yeah, describing and I, and then it. I imagined Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know about you, but I don't know yeah. why I imagine. Well, he's a big strong man. A big strong man. So this fly, which is called Megapropodophora arnoldi. Oh, she got it. She got it. <laughs> wow. We usually have planned games, but that was... <laughs> Monday has started out amazing for me. <laughs> yeah. So we, we found that in the central Amazon in Manaus in a trap sample. Whoa. And it was so small we could barely see it, but we got it back to the lab and described it. And I described it and put it out there, and Arnold tweeted his thanks to us. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. So... Okay, so you're getting these tiny, tiny flies back to the lab, and then through a process of comparing them to what already exists, every now and then you realize, I've never seen something like this before. 
Right. That's basically the process. We have to understand what's been described and what kind of diversity is still out there. So it's a huge bioinformatics problem as well, keeping track of everything. It's a it's a bioinformatics. <laughs> bioinformatics. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> I think I've learned enough. Bioinformatics. Informatics. And, oh, okay, so like card catalog of all the information. Except that it's computerized. Right. Now. Got it. Yeah. Keeping okay. track of all the descriptions and the characters and so on and all the other species. Now, when you enter it in, is it kind of like when police enter in the perp and all the information sort of goes through everybody and you see faces of bugs that sort of fall under that classification? I'm working on things like that. We're not cool. quite there yet, but... Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay, so let's sidestep here for a second. <laughs> all of this was fantastic, obviously. <laughs> but We could do like two hours on bugs. <laughs> we, I, well, that's pretty much what we're going to do, um, except it'll be less than an hour. But <laughs> Alien, 1979. Right, one of my favorite movies. Such a great movie. What was the first time you guys encountered the film, and what were your initial thoughts? I mean, you you just said it's one of your favorite films. How do you feel, Jess May, about the movie? Uh, I love anything. In my mind, like, I love creature features, but this is, like, creature feature Mm sci-fi. I've always loved a tangible uh, monster, you know. Sure. Being able to see it. And I love the use of just suspension and the lighting and and the way it looked like it looked legit yes yes so true it, I, I just rewatched it for the pod and un- like I literally had to just lean over to people next to me and say look how why does this look so good so it's so good. long ago and it's still I don't know it's just so much better than any CGI yeah. stuff you know anytime you see even those parts where they're dissecting it where it's just sitting there it's not moving it's not uh, dripping or sweating or making noise it's just sitting there and it looks unbelievably frightening it does (laughs) and it looks dense and heavy you know sometimes like when they Mm -hmm. have like the actual animatronic in front of them and they move it it kind of just flaps right right you're like okay that thing weighs two pounds (laughs) yeah but this looked like dense. this is clearly a prop Yeah. yeah and also for me as a chick i thought it was awesome to have you know, that the lead badass be a woman who didn't portray any of the societal standards of the damsel in distress. You know, she went and was like, I'm going to get this motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, super badass. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with all of what's said. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dissection, that was in the second movie, don't forget. One of the cool things about the first movie is you don't really see it until the very end. You don't get a really good look at it until until later. That's true. I can remember sitting there in the theater, and unlike you youngsters, I was actually (laughs) going to that movie when it first came out. (laughs) You're on the ship. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it was a real step forward. Yeah. Yeah. And showing a life, an alien life cycle as well, was something that's appealing that's to biologists. Right. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. that's that's a great uh, segue. Um, and 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 please keep doing that, so I don't have to. <laughs> um, we see the whole life cycle. We see the egg stage, which I have questions about in general because it seems like those eggs have been there for God knows how long. They're just kind of waiting around yeah. for something. Question mark. Um, <laughs> and then there's like the face hug stage, where it's just. <laughs> On face this, hugger. Yeah, yeah. face By hugger. Xenophobe? Yeah, yeah. Just on this dude's face, but like still breathing and obviously alive. Uh-huh. I just snorted. You said face hug. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, if you look in the alien literature, that face hugger is the, the real term. Uh, yeah, it's a common stage. phrase. I didn't know uh-huh. that. That's awesome. I'm, I got to put that on a shirt. That's great. And then you have this like depositing parasite <laughs> egg laying potentially phase, which we don't really see happen, but we know that it right implants a baby of some sort into this dude and then coming out of this guy's chest is that like very strange looking uh amazing like one of the greatest scenes ever <laughs> in sci-fi cinematic horror even just breaking those genres just a great scene yeah 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 of the, like what the fuck yeah hands twitching in the background oh my that part God. really gets me it's unbelievable yeah it really is yeah um and and a lot of it, by the way, and just this is another, I'm just going to randomly compliment the film, I think, as we go on. But there's not, like, suspenseful music. Like, the sound design is so good mm-hmm. in the movie 
um, on its own, and and there are some parts where there's like you know some like basic uh, music, but but in those scenes where these iconic scenes, you would think there's some sort of like drastic orchestra something, or but it's it, like that scene is mostly silent, yeah, and it's just these you like you're in the room, you it's know, like it the feels like industrial sounds of the ship, you're yeah, right. I never even thought about that. It's so frightening yeah. that it's just you're just there, and you can tell everybody's just like, what the hell is going on here, <laughs> you know? Um, okay. So anyway, back to the stages. It Then we know it sheds its skin because they pick up its skin at one point. And then the next time we see it, the thing is humongous. It's fully it formed. Yeah, six feet, seven feet tall, uh, ready to kill. Who's breastfeeding that thing? Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's kind of what I want to ask Brian. <laughs> um, I, I that's just, an obvious expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, um, like, how does it grow so fast? Do other things grow that fast? And and what else has that same kind of life cycle? Well, nothing has it exactly that life cycle. And we can think about that face hugger as being kind of a unnecessary stage, really. Okay. Because <laughs> usually when uh, parasites or parasitoids have intermediate stages like that, mm-hmm. they do something different. Like they develop in a different host to a new stage that can infect the next, next host. Okay. So that face hugger doesn't really do anything Except it's cool, right? Yeah, it's Besides so cool. freak us out. <laughs> um, so the the life cycle of, of that organism is not something that really is, is reasonable because of these extra stages and because of the uh, incredible, insane growth rate. Right. Which is obviously geared towards an hour and a half long movie or a two hour long movie, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And most organisms, when they feed, are only about 10% efficient in converting the tissue uh, – the the food items into new protein, new tissues, whatever. Okay. So we waste about 90% of what we eat in terms of, you know, undigested parts and heat and all kinds of other things in chemical reactions. Okay. So basically to get that big, it would have to eat several humans. Yeah. I mean, it does kill people. It does. But I guess it's already big by that point. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. And also, we don't ever see it eating anybody. That's true. That's true. We don't see it eating anyone. Yeah, we see its mouth several times. Yeah. But we don't see it eating its anyone. Its mouths. Its mouths. <laughs> and then we find out in the next uh, episode or the next movie that they actually stash people. In- oh, right. That's right. That's true. Like a, like a spider or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Stash them away for the next generation to develop in. Oh, right. And then wow. you were talking about the eggs, like how realistic, like. Do parasites, I mean, what is the egg situation? Like, are they so some, Baker's Dozen or like what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, we got to remember. refer to it as Baker's Dozen. Parasites <laughs> yeah, or I mean, parasitoids. <laughs> yeah. Parasites or parasitoids are a huge number of species that do all kinds of things. So we can't, I can't generalize for everything. But there are certainly insect eggs that can wait for a long time to hatch. They're super resistant to desiccation, which is drying out. Which is the big killer, right? If you lose all your water, then you're basically dead. They're mm. resistant to that. Right. Wow. So that looks like what's happening with the alien egg. When somebody looks at it or comes over, you can see some kind of chemical reaction happening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's get that clean. <laughs> That's what it is. It it's is what it my is. Dreams. No, I just didn't know you were a sound effects expert. That's great. Now I don't have to find that sound. <laughs> Perfect. So... Those uh, those immature stages could wait for a long time. There are other parasitoids, some parasitoids that are in spiders or various other um, hosts that wait to start feeding. So they go into a host, just say they go into a, an early larva of a caterpillar or something. Okay. They wait till that caterpillar feeds and bulks up to its full size. And then they'll start feeding on it. Wow. Oh, man. That sounds like all my girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like all my friends. Wait till you make some money. And <laughs> Wait then... till you get a movie or a TV show. <laughs> that right. is so gross. So there's lots of food available for it. And then they'll start feeding. Got you. Oh, Got man. you. Okay. <laughs> oh, this we're just getting started, Jessica. So I hope that... I'm telling you, I, I heard about this one uh, <laughs> creature, which I don't know if you even know about specifically, but it's called a liver fluke. That's, familiar? That's a kind of parasite, right? Okay. That has uh, different types of life, uh, different types of hosts, intermediate hosts as it goes through its life cycle. Right. And the reason I ask, by the way, is because in Alien, 
the the egg opens and this thing attaches to you know this guy's face and so that made me curious of like well does it matter then like would it have attached to a dog or you know like can parasites find Cross. a host of any species yeah. and how does that work and it seems like this one in particular I don't know it does like several different hop species no right that's part of the fantasy of the of the uh, movie though because parasitoids or parasites are subject to the immune, the immune system of their hosts. Mm. And usually parasitoids are very strictly associated with a single species of host okay. whose immune system it is, it's able to compromise. Wow. And what about like those parasites? I don't know if it's a different classification or whatever, but the ones that like get into the host and then they manipulate the behavior of the host. Right. What yeah. is that about? That's about making sure your next stage is going to move on to the to survive. Right. So some of the let me back up a bit and talk about the ant decapitating flies and I'll answer that. I'll give you an well, thank God. Let's do it. <laughs> I hate ants. I'll give I you we an ex example that of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So some of the flies I work on are parasitoids of ants. So they lay their eggs inside an ant's body, usually inside the head, and then the egg hatches and the larva feeds inside the ant's head. And eventually the ant's head falls off sometimes before the rest of the body stops walking around. So we call them ant decapitating flies. Whoa. And there's hundreds of species of these things uh, found all over the world, most of them undescribed. And it sounds really bizarre and, and funny, but, you know, when we start having pest ants around the world, like fire ants or Argentine ants, which we have here, then these things start to become useful for us or at least interesting for us to try and control them. Right. So... When there's a parasitoid in the ant, there's all kinds of possible outcomes of that. Does the ant know it's parasitized? We can look at its behavior and maybe try and figure that out. Okay. So a friend of mine studied some ants that have soldiers. Okay, a soldier ant is – let me back up a bit. Yeah, ants, please. Within a colony, ants can have different sizes. You can have your regular workers. You can have soldiers that have super big heads for certain purposes. They're specialized. Okay. And some of these soldiers are specialized predators, or not predators, but defenders of the colony from other ants. So when a fire ant comes into one of these, uh, they're called thief ant colonies, the soldier thief ants will chop up the fire ants. That's awesome. Where's that well, movie? Yeah, I don't know. That's well, I think awesome. it was called Ants. That's their function. <laughs> the giant, remember the giant? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's their function. So the flies preferentially go for these soldier ants because there's a big chunk of meat there, that big head, right? Sure. So Delish. When a, so when a, a soldier ant is parasitized, does it, is it more likely to go into battle with other ants or less likely? Mm. If the parasite's in control, it would be less likely, you would think, right? Right. Because it wouldn't want to get eaten. And the little bits of work that have been done on this show that the uh, parasitized soldiers are less likely to fight – Right. But we don't know if that's because they're just feeling sick because something's in there eating all their, all their oh. juice, basically, oh. or if they're actually being manipulated. So it's maybe not the best system, but... Okay. So... How many parasites, like, when we're looking at species and different types of species and different types of parasites that uh, attach to those species, how many of those parasites do humans have to be wary of? <laughs> Like, what parasites are humans at risk yeah. of? Well, we know them as diseases. Okay. Gotcha. There, there are very, very few parasitoids that are actually on humans, like animals that use one host and kill it. Right. Mm. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Okay, good. But there are diseases. So there are none. <laughs> just want to know if I could sleep. That's all. Just <laughs> my week. <laughs> there are things like bot flies, which is in my realm of expertise that... I have that written down, bot flies, yeah. Because it's very... <laughs> Uh, akin to the movie, really. It's similar to what happens. Yeah. How, you know, he, they're infected and then it comes out. Absolutely. Does but, anybody know if that was an inspiration? Does, do we know what the inspiration... I mean, that's why I was going to ask about bot flies and, uh, you know, these liver mm -hmm. flukes and stuff because it seems like, yeah, it is some... There is some validity there, yeah. right? Except they don't kill their hosts, so they're not true parasitoids. Right. Right? They never kill their hosts? Bot flies don't kill their Bot hosts. Bot flies don't kill their hosts. No. Got it. And the disease organisms like liver flukes, they may kill somebody accidentally, like somebody may die of sleeping sickness or malaria, but those are still parasites because, mm. you know, they don't use one host and then, go, and then kill it as part of their normal reproduction. I heard that they can control an ant 
and make it go to like the top of a blade of grass and stay there and then on purpose so that it gets eaten by a grazing animal. Right. And then, so was isn't that killing it? Or is it passing, is that a part of the process of it? I'm talking about the totality of the life history. So okay. I guess talking about the, the host that we care the most about, which is the grazing animal or the mammal, right? <laughs> yeah. Those sure. intermediate hosts, nobody really cares about. <laughs> closer to us we're worried uh, about yeah so it can kill a host as long as it's an intermediary host that's fine right welcome to my world you know people love dinosaurs and mammals but insects yeah not Not so much much. (laughs) right that makes sense um okay so cage match we have this xenomorph which is how what they call these aliens an alien which doesn't really mean anything right it's like a hollywood term (laughs) yeah weird hollywood term but i guess because you can't say alien because it's so generic they needed something more specific right yeah Yeah, loaded so you got a xenomorph and you can put in any uh insect or parasite to kill it what what would you go with you know maybe you can you can unleash a thousand of these spot flies or something would you think they'd be able to take down this, uh, this xenomorph? Parasitic wasps that lay their eggs in inside the eggs of other insects. Uh-huh. I mean, they're like right down there with the world's smallest fly, Megapropodophora arnoldi, in being <laughs> half a millimeter long or so. So, you know, something like that, if it was the size of one of the dogs that's walking around here, yeah, would be uh, pretty effective. <laughs> okay, great. That sounds really scary. Um Okay, so in the film, this thing has at one point acidic blood. They cut it open with some sort of weird laser pen. Yeah. And <laughs> blood spurts out and it goes right through the floor and then for some reason stops at some floor. I don't know what that is. Yeah, that's the anti venom yeah. floor. They, they put yeah. that in. Yeah, thank God. Just to preemptive to protect the alien engine. strike. Yeah. yeah. Another great aspect of the movie, but one that I don't know any biological correlates to. Okay, so yeah, there's no nothing you know of that you know you've cut open and has melted your office <laughs> <laughs> through several floors. No, yeah. afraid not. A okay. sheet of paper? No. <laughs> yeah, something might be equivalent size-wise. <laughs> yeah, if it's one of these teeny Arnold flies <laughs> with big arms. Yeah, with big yeah, arms. With huge big arms. <laughs> the teeny Arnold fly is a parasitoid too, for sure. Yeah, mm. he sounds like it. It's she's got a little sharp pointed egg layer for putting the eggs in the host. So I think what it does is it probably lives in an ant or a termite nest, Mm. and it holds on to the ants while they move around with those big front legs and then gets off and lays its eggs inside the eggs of the ants or something like that. Here's my question. Being somebody who works in entomology and thinking about the whole coexistence and, and cohesiveness of nature and how it sort of, you know, flows together, why are there so many bugs and specifically with parasites, like, what is their main purpose, in your opinion? Is it to control certain populations of other bugs, or are they just an, an accident by nature? Well, why questions are always the most difficult. And when yeah. we talk about purpose, we're talking about something that's designed. Mm-hmm. So as a scientist, I think about things evolving instead. And I think that there's that many insects because that many insects have found that way of life to be successful. I mean, all animals have basically one function. That's to gather enough energy to reproduce. As a side effect of doing that, they assemble communities. They control pest species. They do all kinds of things. But, you know, they're not trying to do that. Right. Wow. Okay. Let's take a quick break so that uh, we can all throw up. (laughs) And we will be right back with... Probably some equally uh, grotesque information about (laughs) the infinite amount of bugs that are on this planet. They're on your face right now. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. We are back here on Bad Science. And uh, during the break, Jessamay had a fantastic question, which I would love for her to ask so we can hear the answer all together. Um, was it the parasitic question? Uh, yes, it I, was the uh, genitalia-related. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I want to know about that fish that swims in your pee hole <laughs> when you pee. I think it's the Amazonian situation. Right. They call it the kandiru. It's a little catfish, and it feeds normally on uh, the gills of fishes, which produce a fair amount of ammonia, which is also found in urine. Oh. 
So Kandiru. Kandiru. Can don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to name my son that. (laughs) Or urinary track catfish, whatever. Oh, my God. Spirit animal. (laughs) (laughs) Urinary track catfish. And my other question is that I asked before. Wait, we're not finished with the gory details of that. Please, more details. So like most catfish, they have um, spines on their fins, right? So there's a dorsal fin, and then there's two pectoral fins that have spines. (laughs) So they can crawl in there, and if they get disturbed, they go blink and stick out their spines. And that's what causes the legendary pain that supposedly some people would rather deal with the pain immediately than wait. Now, is that um, just specific to male urethras or also female urethras? (laughs) Ours are a little bit difficult to get in. I'm just saying, I want to know what the... (laughs) hey Hey, come on. Listen to Brian over here. (laughs) Uh, The other question I had is, can certain animals display parasitic behavior and not be parasites? Is that a thing? Like, would that fish be considered a parasitic fish? Or is it not? Yes, it would be considered a parasite because it's feeding on hosts but not killing it. Got it. Wow. Great question. fascinating. Yeah, you're doing great at this. (laughs) Good science question. Yeah, no need for me to be here. (laughs) I'd rather Uh, talk about genitalia, though. (laughs) (laughs) Found the sweet spot, guys. (laughs) Yeah, you've done a lot of research on flies, but genitalia is your main thing. (laughs) Fly genitalia, for sure. (laughs) Fly genitalia. (laughs) I'm serious. That's No, I know that you're serious. You're a serious guy. And that's sexy stuff. Yeah. Um, Okay, so... Well, we were talking about how difficult it is for human males to uh-huh. meet uh, women, you know, females, sure. because of their interest in insects. But try knowing this. <laughs> for fly males or for insect males to reproduce, they have to not only inseminate a female, they have to uh, persuade her to use her, his sperm. Because the female insects have this dastardly little organ called the spermatheca. So when the sperm goes in... She shunts it off to the spermatheca, and then she can control which sperm she uses. Whoa. That's so, a bitch. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So she can mate multiply and choose which sperm she uses. What's right her favorite down. sperm? Yeah. The most <laughs> desirable male by whatever criteria that those flies or those insects use. Do we, yeah, do we know what, like, why what she selects? Does dance? Yeah, yeah. Is there, like, you know, like a peacock dance that happens? There's exactly that sort of thing. Some male God, flies dance so or they have characters that... That apparently tweak the female or the males have – this is the thing. Males have genitalia that have all kinds of little ticklers and and other um, processes on them to persuade the female to use his sperm. And some males also have structures that can go right into the spermatheca and – Mix Jostle it up it or, or empty it out. <laughs> so <laughs> They take out other flies' sperm? It's other like that cat sperm. dick that yeah. scrapes out the insides of a – of the of a female cat. What? I don't know about that. There's like a thing that scrapes itself stuff out. That's cat what the head dick of your scraper. Yeah, that's what the head of your dick does. That's why there's a little lip there. <laughs> Excuse me, my, the head of my dick does not <laughs> scrape any cat. Okay, I'll have you know. I'm offended. <laughs> oh, so, my favorite podcast. So the the males, I'm I'm the straight man here. You guys can just play off this. <laughs> Great. So some of the males will reach in to the female uh, spermatheca and empty it out or mix it up. So the female loses her opportunity to to uh, choose. I don't know but if you then, are the straight man. But the females <laughs> can put a kink in their spermathecal duct. So the male goes to do that and then boink, you know, he bonks. They're the like end. prepped for it. She's breaking yeah. dicks, y'all. <laughs> but then you get male flies or other insects where you see that the genitalia goes all over the place. It's oh my God. curly cues and so on. You know that that male has evolved a way stuff. to get through all that. Oh wow. God. Curly dicks. So I guess in my reincarnation, I'm going to come back as a bot fly. This shit sounds fun. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun. Dick yeah. ticklers? Yeah, your big, curly, evolved dick that can... <laughs> magic trick dick? <laughs> yeah, magic trick dick. Empty out the sperm you already have? Yeah. yeah. Christ. Sounds so there's, a lot of fun. There's a lot of genitalia diversity that's out there, even within the mammals that we don't really think about or know about as a general culture, right? How many mammal genitalias have you seen? Well, well yeah, Jessamy and I How much I time are, you have? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're biased, but <laughs> most people probably none. to me specifically? <laughs> yeah. I just got back from the Kid Rock cruise. We can go on for that. <laughs> That's the main thing they did there. <laughs> um, so, wait. 
go on because you uh, were hooked. Okay. <laughs> Literally, in what, so many ways. Yeah. So obviously for a male fly to get, or a male insect to get the female to use his sperm, he has to go through all kinds of interesting permutations and so on. But then there's also some females that compete for males. Usually it's the male trying to compete for the female, right? But we have females that get prey from the males. The males go out and they collect little food items and they say, hey, here, female, mm. I'll give you this if you will mate with me. Sure, I've been there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that sort of upends the equilibrium that usually exists between males and females. Females with few ex metabolically expensive eggs, males with tons of cheap sperm. Okay. So on a per, per gamete <laughs> level. Sorry. That's just, it's weird because that's the name of my new band, Cheap yeah. Sperm. <laughs> on a per gamete level, eggs are, are expensive because there's only relatively few of them. Okay. So males compete for females unless there's something that the males give them that upends this equilibrium. So then the females start competing for the males and they start cheating. They start growing bigger structures and like fake white tits? patches. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I've got a fly, one of my flies that has what looks like big boobs sticking out its butt. <laughs> Isn't that wild? It's sticking out its butt. Yeah. <laughs> it's very wild. <laughs> Wherever. so wild. Also, when you say one of my flies, are we talking about thousands and thousands of flies? About forward flies, yeah. Oh, forward flies. So one, one species. Wow. Yeah, right. Oh, oh, oh. So we get the, the males competing, or the females competing for the males. Sure. So wow. all kinds of crazy stuff is going on in the insects that's not going on in humans. Well... Monogamy? Is. is there monogamy? <laughs> there is monogamy, yeah. Wow. What? In yeah. bugs? There are some males that mate with the female, and they'll form what we call a living chastity belt. Well, they'll just <laughs> what? stay hooked onto the female until she's ready to lay her eggs. Whoa. My How long dream is that? come true. <laughs> Others will fill her up with a, it's called a, a phragmus, basically this foam that doesn't break down until a few days later. So that stops her, yeah. stops so, her from mating. Stops her from remating, right? Wow, that's some really possessive situation. That's aggressive. I feel like flies need some therapy. Yeah. Well, Are there fly therapists? <laughs> yeah. Are there fly therapists? It's me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you should change your job title. Yeah. I have wow. a really dumb question. Do flies fart? I don't know. Okay. Wow. Stumped him. Stumped well, the entomologist. Then no one knows. I feel <laughs> no like if knows. you don't know, nobody knows. I assume so. Really? I mean, can you imagine like a little fly fart? Just yeah. Like a little... <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I'm feeling it wouldn't sound... Well, maybe you magnify the sound. <laughs> yeah, if you had like yeah. a microphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe you're going to be studying that in the future? <laughs> Sounds interesting If I can get a grant. <laughs> a fly fart grant? <laughs> a fart grant. <laughs> um, I heard you had a crazy bot fly story. Is that correct? Uh, we do have... A all kinds of field stories. If you spend a lot of time out in the field in South America or places like that, then you come across all kinds of things. And one of the most interesting are the bot flies. They're a type of fly that lives inside mammals. They're okay. parasites. They're not true parasitoids because they don't kill the mammals. But they grow up into maggots about an inch long that have all these spines around them. So they're in your skin, they twist around, oh. and their spines lacerate the tissue which then forms a soup that bacteria start feeding on. A and soup? The, that cannot be the technical term. And, and then the fly larvae feed on the soup, <laughs> and they filter out the bacteria. So they keep the wound clean. But basically, they're creating their own little smorgasbord there inside your skin. Uh, so wow. they hurt. But sure. they don't cause any real damage, usually, because you know they, they keep the wound clean. Okay. How nice of them. They're also kind of cool because they catch mosquitoes. They use a secondary vector to, uh, to deliver their eggs. They don't come and lay eggs on you. They'll, they'll catch a mosquito and lay their eggs on the mosquito, and then the mosquito finds the host. The eggs hatch because of the body warmth. Whoa. I mean, that, my mouth is agape. <laughs> yeah. So one day I was walking down a trail in Peru with my friend Don Feener, who's a professor at the University of Utah. Oh, shout out, Don. Yeah. Hey, Don. What up, D? And uh, he said, Brian, I think I have a botfly maggot in my scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now if I had a dollar. <laughs> yeah, all been there. So we, uh, Tuesday. <laughs> we were on a Smithsonian expedition at that time, so we had a doctor in the, in the camp. So we got back to the, got back to the living area, got Don up in the gyne gynecological position. 
the doctor had my headlamp on and a pair of forceps. <gasps> and the thing is, you can't just yank these fly larvae out because they've got those spines that they'll stick out, sort of like oh. the Kanduro catfish, if you try and where this out. is going. <laughs> and if they break, then you get a big um, Soupy infection. Mess. Oh. oh, man. So th- what you do is you smother them, right? Okay. You have to put something over the breathing hole because they still have to breathe. Ah. So we use some Vaseline. Okay. But the doctor did. I wasn't anywhere near there. I was just in the background. <laughs> what? I feel in like you would love this. Instagramming. <laughs> <laughs> Snapchatting. Don screwed. <laughs> Don scrotums are screwed. <laughs> yeah. So put on the Vaseline. One of the larvae stuck its head up, grabbed it, put it in the vial of alcohol. Looked again. I an otro. There's another one. <gasps> so we pulled out the second one. And another one. What? Meanwhile, I'm looking at these things and I'm saying... These things don't have spines on them. I don't think they're screw worms. Or I don't think they're bot flies. Wow. So Don said, what could they be? And I said, they could be screw worms, which is another type of parasite that actually feeds on living tissue. Oh, my God. So it goes, doesn't just, you know, make little wounds and feeds on the soup. It actually yeah. goes for the living tissue. Yikes. By the way, did the doctor know what to do with these things? Or was it because you were there? That, you know, you're an expert, so it's like, this is what you need to do for this specific... Yeah, I don't think he had had too much experience with scrotum bot flies before. <laughs> Good thing you were there. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> was he really a doctor, just like a Peruvian guy? No, he was a doctor. Putting Vaseline on your friend's nuts. <laughs> he just lived in a tent. <laughs> so meanwhile, another, another pulled out nine. Oh, wow. my. So, whew. How big would they, were they? Do they vary in size? They're about they... this big, which is about a centimeter. Oh. So then a couple days later, we're back in town walking down the street. Oh, no. Don looks at me and says, Brian, they're back. <gasps> they're back. That's all he has to <laughs> so say. So we got the doctor and pulled out more. There were 22 in total. Oh. What? That they pulled out. How big are Brian's, Don's nuts? Yeah, and what is he doing to attract these Is he just walking around at night shortless? (laughs) Yeah. Nuts forward? Yeah, yelling, come on. Nuts out, butts out. (laughs) I can explain this a little bit more detail with biology. But eventually, the the final outcome was that Don Fiener was still able to reproduce. He had a kid. So there was was no permanent damage done. Oh, happy ending. Right. That's nice. But these, these screw worms, they have to have broken skin. Man, is this far afield from alien. No, no, it's all related. They have to have bro- so why was his nut skin broken? So we were in the tropics. <laughs> if you've ever been in the tropics. <laughs> Not going now. And gotten chiggers. They're a type of mite that gets all over your body. I, I've heard of chiggers. I just, yeah. Someone was just telling me about them like a month ago. So they go wherever clothes are tight, like around belts or bra straps or underarms, whatever, and they cause broken itch, uh, skin that, that itches. So probably one of these uh, screwworm flies got at Fiener through the broken skin there. Whoa. They're also known to lay their eggs on soiled clothing. Um, so, so Don pissed himself? Well, we had our laundry done under fairly primitive conditions, and uh, you know it was, it was out there um, drying in the sun. So who knows how he actually got it? Whoa! I think it's unlikely that he actually got laid directly upon by the screwworm fly. But yeah. I mean, like when you go on these excursions, do you in your mind do you just know something's going to happen to you? Like, do you? Do you go, okay, I'm going to get nut bugs? Yeah, it seems like a big risk. Is there, like, is there, what's the protocol for you personally when you go to, you know, the Amazon? Like, is there, how do you? Get the required immunizations, wear repellent, you know, be aware of your surroundings. And what keeps you going, like, you know, an NBA player is, like, pushing themselves in the weight room thinking right. championship. Yeah. I want that championship. Why are you what's uh, what you're in Peru, your friend has bugs in his nuts. <laughs> Where's the what are you thinking like I got there's one more for it I'm going to find. Yeah, you're in the most glorious place in the world, the most diverse habitat on the planet, mm-hmm. which is where you're going to find the special things that only you are an expert in or that you can appreciate. What's uh, your favorite bug? People ask me that. I just you don't, have don't know one. how to answer that. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's yeah. like, what's your favorite song or movie? Do you have a favorite bug? Mm, no. It's I don't think. Tough... Maybe like a firefly is cool. Fireflies yeah. are cool. Why not? Yeah. 
I like a cool. thing called the Luna moth. Do you know that? It's a green moth with long tails. It's big. It looks like a bat, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, I always wanted to see one of those. And then I never saw them. I grew up in Toronto, Canada. It's kind of on the northern end of their distribution. Then one year I was in Florida doing some lighting, and they were coming in by the buckets, and I'm going, well, too late, too late. Moved on to forward flies. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) Um, Okay, so back to Alien for a second. Just a second, guys. Um, They kill it, well, I mean, arguably. She doesn't really kill it, but it, like, exits the spaceship. And it just made me think that when you discover all these flies, you have to kill them, right? You're killing flies all the time. Right. They're dropping like flies. <laughs> right. We can't study, you know, rapidly moving two to three millimeter or right. 0.5 millimeter long flies when they're moving around. So is there like the common way that you kill them? Do you like have, have you done it in weird ways? Is there a justice of the bug piece? Yeah. Usually immersion in alcohol works, oh, although okay. I have a predilection for cyanide for bigger things. Wow. Okay. I immerse myself in alcohol like after 5 p.m. of every single day. So Ew. Basically dying as a bug, a bug's death. <laughs> Maybe that's how we should kill people that are on death row. <laughs> just yeah. To drink them to death. Just put them in a vat of, of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, a vat of whiskey. That sounds fine. Okay, so before we go, let's sum up our alien slash real world knowledge. There is no bug that has this life cycle like alien. Nothing grows that fast, right? Right. And nothing that's a parasitoid attacks humans that we know. Okay, that's good. Thank God. Yeah. Right. And there are also other aspects of the biology that are not realistic. But the realistic aspects are that they can put some kind of organism inside the body. It feeds on a single host and kills it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can wait for a long time, have resistant desiccant, desiccation-proof eggs that can last a long time. Got it. And that's the drying out. Right. Right. Resistance. Resistant to drying out. Yeah. But mm-hmm. basically, it would be very difficult for an organism like that to exist because of the immune systems that we have. And insects have immune systems, too. They, they have um, cells that go around invaders that basically encapsulate invaders and kill them, smother them. Okay. Uh, some of the parasitoids get around that sort of defense by spewing out a bunch of junk protein when they lay their egg. Hey! Whoa. It's sort of like, you know, what should I attack now? The immune system basically gets overwhelmed. Yeah. Or they also inject venoms that, that compromise the immune system as well, just on, on their own. Slow it so down. there's a little acid similarity. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the acid blood before we were talking mm-hmm. about how that doesn't really exist, but kind of. <laughs> there's also one other little thing I wanted to mention if, if we have time just to put it in there. Yeah. When we were talking about how f- uh, hosts know if they're parasitized or not. Right. Sometimes ants, you'll see them pulling apart their sisters, especially with leafcutter ants. Leafcutter ants have those big soldiers too. And leafcutter ants are found in the New World Tropics. They cut up leaves carry them back to the nest, and they chew them up, and they grow mushrooms on them, wow. fungi on them. So they're, they're farmers. They don't eat the actual leaves. Whoa. So there's some forward flies that are parasites of the largest soldiers and the larger workers. And sometimes you'll see one of those larger workers pinned out by her sisters, basically tearing her apart, killing her. And you th- I thought, why are they doing that? So one time I saw that, I grabbed the ant, popped its head off, and it had a big forehead larva in it. So it's possible that the ants, the sisters, knew that this one was parasitized. Wow. And was able to try, and they were in the process of trying to eliminate her because she had this. I mean, there's the movie. Yeah, that sounds just like, uh, what's that uh, horror movie where, like, you get, with uh, like, the devil possesses you? and Like, exorcist. Yeah. Right? Like, they kind of know that they're possessed or like there's something in them controlling them or something add the sisters eating her and pulling her apart i mean hello i would watch that movie yeah something's wrong with me (laughs) (laughs) no that sounds really cool and frightening okay so what about eating bugs can we talk about that for a second some people eat like crickets and stuff like that yeah that doesn't do much for me i've done it but it's always been a bad experience what's the grossest bug you've eaten uh june beetles like we were in Thailand one time. There was an outbreak of June beetles. A fellow came by and gathered them up. The next morning, he brought like a popcorn bag full of these stir-fried June beetles to us. They were pretty awful. Like as mm. a gift? Yeah. Jeez, that's a, I mean, that's a risky thing. Stir-fried, stir-fried makes it sound better. 
but still it gross. just tasted like old wok. So yeah, maybe if we had had a nice Thai curry or something, chili sauce on it. Yeah, yeah. if you hide it in something. Yeah. If you just smother yeah. it in cheese. I mean, I'll eat anything in cheese. Or chocolate. Yeah. That's or chocolate. The yeah. Usual yeah, way or both. Insects are yeah. presented. Put a yeah. little yeah. weed in that June bug. I'll suck it right down. <laughs> <laughs> if it's gonna get me high, I'll eat whatever you want. <laughs> Seriously, forget the cheese. Just give me the bug. I could easily smoke, but I'll eat this beetle. <laughs> I'll smoke it too. <laughs> Um, okay, great. I think this has been fantastic. You want to tell us, yeah, where we can uh, get some more information? Sure. Um, basically, there's not a lot of fly information out there. There is some, but my uh, webpage, flyobsession.net, <laughs> has short articles about what I think is interesting and Sweet. notable about flies. Okay, flyinformation.net. Fly obsession. Oh, sorry. I'm just, Get it I was right. busy laughing. Flyobsession.net. That's my fault. That's amazing. Yeah, that is good. And you guys are doing, you said, like, um, events at the museum where we people have, can. Right. We have bug fair every year in May. Okay. So that's coming up. Woo! <laughs> let's go. Yes, let's go. Yeah. We can do a follow up episode. Yeah, here we are at the bug fair. And, yeah. You know, this is gross, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> With thousands of your fellow bug fans. Yeah. I mean, all right. shapes and sizes, believe me. Okay. That sounds so fun. That yeah. sounds really fun. Where yeah. can people find information about the events at the museum? NHM.org is N- our website. Okay. NHM.org. I'm going to come visit you. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, Jessime, anything you want to plug? Um, I want to plug the fact that I won't be swimming in the Amazon ever in my life or any other body of water or even a shower. Uh, so I hope whoever is going to marry me can deal with that. Yeah. No trips to South America <laughs> planned no, right no, now? No. No trips to South America. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be idea. checking all of, all of my boyfriend's nuts every day for the rest of my life. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to be on Lucky nut them. check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't have to do it themselves. <laughs> yeah, you can find me at Hilarious. It's my podcast, new podcast in Sharp Tongue. Great. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you, Jessime. Thank you, Brian. This has been fantastic. And we'll see you next time right here on Bad Science. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producers are Sachin Medhecker and Brent Butler. And the Exenomorph producer is Brett Kushner. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.